I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome into the Denver Stiff Show. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Thursday night here, recording this on the eve of one of the biggest series in Nuggets franchise history. And to break that all down and to help me understand, help Nuggets fans understand the significance of what is going on here today, I've brought on two elite Nuggets historians, uh, two of my great friends in this business. Uh, the first is Deputy Site Manager Zach Mikosh, who has been with me for a long time, been with the, sti- with the site for a long time. Zach, how are you doing, man? Doing good. I was, I was just thinking about this, too. I'm closing in. I'm closing in. After, uh, after this season, I, I'm officially tied with Adam Mares, uh, and that would only leave, that would only leave the, the, the proprietors left. So uh, closing in on, on, on the, big, the big stiffs from – from the the older days, from the last time we were in this Western Conference Finals with the Lakers, so yeah, it's been it's been quite a while now with the site. And who better to really break down this series, honestly, than the former Big Stiff? Actually, well, he is the Big Stiff. There is no other Big Stiff in this case. <laughs> big Denver Energy himself, Andrew Feinstein. Andy, how are you, man? Hey guys, so great to be with you. Um, as soon as this game was over, Game Seven. Uh, I think I texted you both and I said, when are we podcasting? You were like the first two guys I texted because we had to talk history, right? And so it means a lot to have me back on. And we were just reminiscing before the show went live about some articles that uh, myself and Jeff Morton wrote back in the day about this sordid history of Nuggets versus Lakers in the postseason. So uh, maybe seventh, seventh time might be a charm. We'll see how it goes. Have they? I guess that's a good point. They've never beaten the Lakers in the playoffs, have they? Oh, and six. Ugh. Zach said yep. that he was going to be writing a, a nice Friday article about this Lakers and Nuggets breakdown and just how one-sided it really has been. So I, I knew I wanted to talk to the two of you because you two have both experienced this and, and lived with the, the highs and mostly the lows of this subject matter. Uh, Zach, when going back through some of this stuff, has that, has that been as painful as I think it probably has been? Uh, you, what's, you, you remember the Lakers series really well, you know, like even, even the, um, the 08 series, funny enough, spurned a, uh, a website or, or not spurned, but created a, a website called, well, we, we all remember what it was called at the time, but like, right. That was, uh, that's how Denver stiffs essentially gets its start. It was sure. uh, the, the nuggets getting swept by the Lakers, despite the fact that they had Allen Iverson and, and Carmelo Anthony, um, you yeah you you know like I I don't remember anything about the the time they lost to the Clippers uh, back in I think what that was like oh six maybe um, 
but you remember every single Lakers series. So it wasn't, it didn't, it didn't bring up any new wounds. It just, it, or, or even make me open old wounds. It's just like, ah, yeah, here we go again. So I'm, I'm trying to be more optimistic this time around, but it's um, like, like Andy said, oh, it's six, man. It's, uh, it's, it's, this has been a thorn in this team's side uh, throughout their history. You know, the really problem, the though, is- it too, is uh, the Nuggets have never been the favorite either. And they're not, again, this year, right? So it's not like they pulled an L.A. Clippers and choked one of those series. Uh, it's so much fun to say that, by the way. Uh, but they've, <laughs> they've never been the favorite. So in all six times that they've met, the Nuggets have always been the underdog. And, you know, they put up a pretty good fight. We were just talking again before the show. You know, 2012, they put up a hell of a fight. Um, 2009, they put up a pretty good fight. Happy to talk about where that series went awry because I literally went to five out of the six games, LA and Denver. But the other series really were inconsequential in terms of comp- competitiveness. You know, we could talk about 1985. There was some back and forth there and some weird things went down, typical Nug Life fashion. But most of these series have really been one-sided. And hopefully the, this one will not be. Uh, I don't want to talk about favorite Nuggets Lakers playoff series because I don't think that I'm going to get a lot of answers there. But, but Andy, do you have a least favorite? Um, you know, we were just talking about before the show. I'm glad we were reminiscing. I, I mean, I think it would be 1985. I mean, you know, the Nuggets won 52 games that year. They were first in the division. This is like peak Denver Stiffs era, right? I mean, you've got Alex English and – uh, Fat Lever and T.R. Dunn and Dan Issel. You know, this was Dan Issel's last season in the NBA. Uh, think about that. It was Michael Jordan's rookie season. You know, Wayne Cooper was our starting center. Calvin Natt, power forward. Danny Shays. Danny Shays. Austin Turner. Bill Hanslick. Mike Evans. You know, Joe Kopicki, who I believe is in the Denver Stiffs Hall of Fame. <laughs> you know, just a total stiff squad. And, you know, they, they, they march their way through the playoffs, and they get to the Lakers in the conference finals. This is a loaded Nuggets team going up against a great Lakers team. And, you know, the Lakers blow the Nuggets out in game one. The Nuggets blow the Lakers out in game two. The Lakers blow the Nuggets out in game three. And they're playing a ridiculously close game four in McNichols Arena. And then Kareem Abdul-Jabbar yanks on uh, Alex English's thumb. Um, Alex English has 28 points um, through, uh, let me just double check it. Yeah, through 26 minutes. And he gets his thumb yanked so hard by Krumdul Jabbar in the third quarter that he breaks his thumb. And this typical Nug Life fashion, the Nuggets lose that game by four on their home floor. No Alex English game five. The Lakers score 153 points and blow the Nuggets out. So of, of the six series, uh, maybe it's a tie. It would be this one. And then, of course, 9 being, again, conference finals uh, and just seeing Chauncey and Mello and Kmart and Nene, you know, they had, the, they had the Lakers scared through the first four games. Um, but then, of course, Kobe Bryant uh, smokes them in games five and six. Series over. Yeah. Whenever you talk to Nuggets fans that have been around for a long time, that have covered this team, uh, been a fan of this team for a long time, they point out that 1985 team and, and that era of 80s Nuggets as the best era of Nuggets basketball in their franchise history. And for good reason. Like, that team had a lot of chemistry and played really well around Alex English. Uh, you guys, uh, specifically Andy, know this more than anybody. Uh, I have to imagine that that one probably hurts most people that have followed this team for a long time the most. Uh, 
2009 is a little bit different because it, it was finally breaking through with George Carl and uh, the Mello versus Kobe thing is kind of interesting. But uh, Alex English is the greatest nugget of all time. And, and I think there's a reason for that. He's been around, like he was around for a long time and had put in some consistently elite, excellent years for this franchise. And for them to not be able to get through because of, an, because of something like that, is is heartbreaking heartbreaking for sure zach uh, it, oh, uh yeah. go go ahead eddie oh no i was just gonna say you know uh an even better nuggets stiffs era team was probably the 87 88 nuggets team this is the one where english and lever start in the all-star game um and that team was a nba franchise record 54 wins but they go up against this dallas mavericks team in the second round Again, there's some injury problems. I think Fat Lever got hurt in that series, and they don't get a chance to rematch the Lakers uh, in the conference finals, which was unfortunate. So that one really stung too. So uh, sorry, but go ahead with your next question to Zach. Oh no, it's it's just it's really interesting to hear about the trials and tribulations that this team has gone through when facing the Lakers, and I think it's it's just very specific to this Lakers team that they have always been the antithesis of what. Nuggets fans have really hoped for, and they've been, they've been the arch enemy, really. Uh, 2009 is a great example of that, right, Zach? Yeah, I mean, 2000, what's funny is so 2009, I, um, I was in Vegas for uh, games, games, I think it was, I want to say it was three, games two and three, and then I was on the plane for game four. Um, and so anybody who's been to Vegas knows it's just loaded with people from L.A., uh so like it was man it was like being in enemy enemy territory you know bars are packed of course the the, the sports tickets all packed um and it's just filled with lakers fans and everybody knows lakers fans are just the most obnoxious people in the world so that, that one <laughs> is like that one was uh it's the worst man i have a cousin he grew up in denver like he grew up in denver he um he got into into uh, the television business so he of course moved to la and he just instantly becomes a lakers fan it's just like God, it's just the worst. But uh, no spot. They, um, they, uh, <laughs> the the '09 series is um, they they it's 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 heartbreaking because I think a lot of Nuggets fans they they really feel like that was probably the best shot this franchise has ever had at winning a title. Like they they took that series to six games and they had a chance. Um, to jump on it early as, as we all know, if uh, you know, we all remember the Anthony Carter inbound pass. We, we tend to forget the Kenya Martin inbound pass that also ha- was like a, a repeat of the exact same thing that had happened in game one, right? It happens again uh, in game three. And, and you, you can almost boil it down to those two plays. Like, man, if they could have, if they could have just got the ball and bounce. And I was listening Chauncey Billups was on altitude radio just the other day. And he said that too. He's like, man, we were, we were that close. Like if we had just been able to execute those plays, like we probably, um, we probably can win that series. And then we go on and play Orlando and, and, you know, ironically Dwight Howard, who's now going to be playing in the series is, I mean, that's, that's his team. And I mean, that was a, that was a good team. It was, um, you know, they had a lot of, a lot of great players or, or not even great, but really great role players, I guess, around, um, around Dwight that, that gave them a chance to get to the finals through the East. But, but I mean, let's be honest. Nobody nobody thinks that the, the Orlando Magic would have beat the Nuggets, and and they got they got just completely. Uh, I think they probably that that series maybe went five games against the Lakers. So that one, I think that one stings the most for me, just because like that's that's the farthest up until this point. Um, 
like I was telling 84, I was, I was in diapers in 85, but uh, you know, for me up until this, this point right now that we're at, that's the closest uh, the Nuggets have ever got. It's really the only conference finals that I can remember. And, and they just, they, they had it in front of them and they just, they just couldn't get it done. It's a, it's a, it's a real bummer. Um, and and it, it's the one that sticks out the most because oh eight was oh eight was the laughing stock. I mean the, the Nuggets just just flat out uh, didn't didn't even come close to matching the Lakers sure. in that one. And two thousand twelve, which was actually probably the, the most fun I've, I've had in in a series uh, w- with the Lakers. Like th- they got really close, but but that was that was the post mellow Nuggets. That was the um, that was the lockout shortened season. It was. Uh, that team was built around the, the team concept, right? Not in, in, in the no star concept. This is so you're, you're post mellow, but pre Iguodala. So you really are kind of, again, they, they, they really had no business um, even getting that thing to seven like they did. Uh, but that was, sure. that was a fun, a fun series at least to watch because we, we actually competed. It, uh, that was the one we were felt like we were the most competitive uh, with Los Angeles. Yeah, I, th- I, I do remember that one pretty well. I don't necessarily remember 2009 as well. I was I was 12 years old then, but I wasn't as That's engaged crazy. as I, I know. It's, it's nuts, isn't it? Like, it's, a, it's a crazy, crazy uh, age disparity there. But, uh, Andy, you, you, you were at a lot of those games in 2009, and you, you made the travel to go to L.A. in order to see some of the, those ones there. Uh, just can you can you put a window into what that series was like, tracking it, going back and forth, and sure. what Nuggets fans were feeling? So I was still living in LA at the time. Um, I was transitioning from LA back to Denver. You know, I'm a fifth generation Denverite. I'm right. from here, um, but I had lived in LA from uh, 1998 until 2008 full time, and then in 2009 I was transitioning back. I, I technically launched Denver Stiffs from a computer in Los Angeles. So um, <laughs> being ensconced in enemy territory was quite the experience. But because I was living back and forth anyway, um, it was kind of, you know, other than getting tickets, which was a challenge, I was able to navigate going to the games in L.A. and Denver. You know, I remember game one in L.A., um, the Nuggets had that game. I don't remember if that was a squirrely inbound pass uh, fiasco yep. a game. But, you know, the Nuggets lost by two points. I mean, I really thought that if they stole game one, the Nuggets had a chance to win that series. Well, then they end up stealing game two. And I thought, oh, uh, you know, the Nuggets have the advantage here. They're, they're the better team. Coming to Denver, I remember game three, and Kobe just creamed us. Uh, you know, he had, over, he had like 40-something points. Um, game four, the Nuggets exact their revenge. Now, here's what happens. Game five. Game five is where it gets really uh, unfortunate. Um, so I was at game you – know, I was actually at game five. Um, I, did, I did fly to every single game now that I'm thinking about it. So I remember at halftime, uh, the game was tied. It was tied at halftime. It was tied going into the fourth quarter. And then the Lakers just smoked us in the fourth quarter. The Nuggets looked really tired. And a very good friend of mine, and I won't say who, uh, told me, and I won't say who, that he had seen several key players on that Nuggets team uh, out very late at night before game five, partying in Oof. LA at a private party. And I just thought, this, team's, this team is toast. Um, and they came back to Denver for game six, which I was at. It was almost like Kobe was rope-a-doping 
the Nuggets for the first four and a half games because I remember he had a big second half of memory serves in game five. Game six, Kobe just unloads on the Nuggets in the first half. The game was over. Uh, the game was over um, at, at halftime. Uh, the Lakers were up, um, you know, 13 points or something like that at halftime, and, and the game was over. Nuggets never had a chance. And I remember being really pissed off at Nuggets fans because uh, the, so many fans left after the third quarter and, and literally walked out of Pepsi Center. And I'm thinking, you, you got to honor your team. This is the closest the Nuggets had ever gotten to an NBA championship, and you got to honor your team. But anyway – um, I don't think that team, and, and, and certainly Chauncey would be the exception, I'm not sure that team uh, understood the professionalism that's required um, to, to win it all. And just I, I just remember just thinking, really, guys, you couldn't wait a week to party, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, right. But that cost them. And that, that was an un- – unfortunately, that was an unserious team, you know, other than Chauncey. You had a lot of guys on that team that just weren't serious, um, and, and, and they paid the price for it. It's funny you say that. I always felt um, one of the biggest mistakes that the Nuggets ever made in the Mellow era was actually was. And it's crazy to say this was trading for Allen Iverson. And and the reason I say that was because like yeah, and that's and AI AI could do that. Like he could party until freaking four in the morning, um, go take a two hour nap, and then show up for a shoot around, and then drop forty on somebody that night. But like. I feel like like he kind of set that standard of like yeah th- th- this is the way it can be done and like no, no I mean like J.R. Smith couldn't do that Carmelo couldn't do that like and those guys kind of got that was like the veteran leadership um, those young guys got from from a player who probably wasn't the best veteran leader I mean to be honest and so it's um yeah it's always been something I've always I've always kind of con- attributed because that that was a well known thing like it was it was you knew if the Nuggets played in a back-to-back and they were in LA like the you knew they were going to lose that next game because of course or they were in New York or wherever because of course they're going to be out partying till like four in the morning and I always felt like man that was a lot of that should probably be attributed to AI and and, and them thinking that they could do the same thing that he could and, and they just oh yeah I don't, Zach I don't know what the statute of limitations is on stories on a, on a public podcast like this but boy do I have stories you know, I got to know George <laughs> Carl pretty well um, I mean, uh, there are some Allen Iverson stories you wouldn't believe, or maybe you would based on what you just said. And, you know, his career, it's sad, you know, after that 07, 08 season, you know, yeah, the Nuggets won 50 games, but they were really a joke. I mean, they had an 80 plus million dollar payroll. The Cronkies who, you know, were well into the tax. They had committed to building a championship team. And, um, but the, the organization was not willing to, and I wrote about this extensively. They were not willing to discipline this team and because Allen Iverson was the alpha male on the team and he was the quote unquote veteran leader, um, you know, but it's not helpful when your veteran leader is out partying all the time and his career really fell off a cliff. If you think about it and yeah, uh, a, a Nuggets executive whose name I shall not name uh, told me, I remember in the preseason of the 0809 season, which of course was their conference finals run. Now remember, put this in a little bit of context. So the Cronkies had spent, I think $84 million on that, roster plus luxury tax payments for a 50 win team that got smoked in the first round of the playoffs by the Lakers. Right. Right. Um, they trade Marcus Camby that summer for, for a nothing. second round pick. Um, and uh, I'm trying to remember who else did they unload that summer, but they basically start shedding salary. And uh, I was told Allen Iverson in preseason, he had showed up so out of shape because he was in the last year of his contract. Instead of getting himself into shape and earning his contract, 
he basically pouted his way into the uh, training camp because he wasn't getting an ex- contract extension. And he was getting beat off the dribble in the preseason by Mateen Cleaves, who we had in camp. And Mateen Cleaves, wonderful guy, not exactly a fast point guard. So uh, the, the Nuggets executive that I was very friendly with at the time basically told uh, Mark Warkentine, who at the time was the, the vice president of basketball operations, we got to trade this guy. And that's when they made the move to trade him for Chauncey. And uh, it just shows you, it was almost like addition by subtraction, right? Oh, yeah. Um, even though Chauncey may not have the stat sheet that Allen Iverson had, he certainly had the leadership. He certainly had the discipline. You know, Chauncey doesn't touch alcohol um, right. and uh, was in phenomenal shape, was exactly the veteran that they needed. I think Chauncey had been to seven or eight straight Eastern Conference finals right. before he got to Denver with the Detroit Pistons and, and was an NBA Finals MVP. So um, huge culture shift. But, yeah, that, that Iverson kind of quote-unquote leadership – carried over to J.R. Smith and some other players on the team. I shouldn't mention who. And uh, it had some, uh, unfortunately, some negative consequences uh, on, uh, I mean, look, on the one hand, they had an incredible run. They, they won 54 games and they got to a conference finals, but eventually the party came home to roost. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nuts hearing some of these stories and just the heartbreak that really goes into this thing that, if you're a Nuggets fan, Nug life is real, and it's it's so much of it is out of your control, and so much of it is is something that Nuggets fans just have. They're born into, and, and they they have to go through so much of this. Um, kind of tying this back to what's what's going on this year before we head to a break. Uh, what would a victory over the Lakers mean to each of you? Uh, start with Zach first. Uh, I mean, it, 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 for so many reasons, it's obvious it would be the biggest moment in, in franchise history. One, because it'd be their first trip to an NBA finals. Uh, obviously, they went to the ABA finals last year, the ABA. Um, but also because it's the free, like, it's the Lakers, man. And, and again, like, they have the most obnoxious fans across all sports, like, bar none. Like, I, you can pick any sport in the, in the league. I mean, I'm not too much into Premier League football, so I don't know if, you know, how obnoxious, like, Man U fans are or whatnot. But, um, like they're they're just so so entitled, and they have a right to be right. They got they've won a ton of championships. Um, but I wrote this in, in the preview that for the game tomorrow. Like uh, it's also like it's so obnoxious because like they don't even have to try. Like Magic Johnson and Rob Plinka, like they sucked at building a roster. Like they could never do what Tim Connolly did. They tried. They had a ton of top ten picks, and they screwed it all up. And it didn't matter. Like not a not a single second of it mattered because they just well, we'll just sign LeBron and trade for Anthony Davis and boom. And like so, like to 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 be able to overcome a team who can just basically have uh, finals or, or championship contender rosters just basically given to them because they're because they're the Lakers and because they're in LA. Uh, to beat them with with a team that was built from from the ground up, a team whose best player was the 41st pick in the draft and who looks nothing like the typical basketball star, like it, it would mean. I mean, it, it would mean everything. Like it would be. It would making the finals in itself would just be an, an amazing accomplishment to, to experience as a Nuggets fan. Doing it by by putting away the Lakers and LeBron James, like I mean, it's. It's almost – you can't even really put it into words how amazing it would be. Andy, what about you? I, Zach was actually saying everything that I was thinking as he was saying it. Um, <laughs> you know, my, my, my brother, my younger brother, is two years younger than me. Um, 
I used to say little brother, but he's almost 43 years old, not that little anymore. And he's my best friend in the whole world. I love my brother more than anyone. Um, and uh, he uh, he's a Laker fan. Uh, he was, he's been a Laker fan since we were little kids. He was a huge Magic Johnson fan. I used to write about him in my columns for Denver Stiffs. I called him Benedict Arnold. And, uh, and then I lived there for 10 years. I mean, I literally lived there during the Shaq, Kobe, Phil Jackson era, its implosion, its resurrection with Pau Gasol and Andrew Bynum. Um, and Zach's absolutely right. And I hope all my L.A. Laker fan friends who've been texting me the last few days, A, thanking me for beating the Clippers and then as if I had anything to do with it. And then B, um, tell me how they're going to kick our ass in the next round. Um, Zach is absolutely right. They are so effing annoying. Um, and uh, he's also double right in that this is so undeserved, right? I mean, Rob Palenka and Magic Johnson were horrible executives, but because they happen to be the Lakers, they happen to be the purple and gold, you know, they got LeBron, they got Anthony Davis. And they, by the way, they have a real knucklehead squad there yeah. right now, okay? So, you know, if you're saying there's a chance, there is a chance. I mean, first of all, they got two all-time Nuggets knuckleheads on their team. JaVale McGee and J.R. Smith. True. They got some bad – they got some knucklehead. I mean, Dwight Howard is a mess, okay? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Mark, they have a Morris twin, okay? Any, any team with a Morris twin is susceptible to losing. Um, you know, Just found Rondo, that out. Rajon Rondo's had an unbelievable career, and they're actually better when he's on the floor, which scares me. But, uh, yeah, again, he's crazy. I mean, they, have a, they do have a high oh, – Deion Waiters, right? I mean – they have a high, high knucklehead factor on this team. So literally, um, but so so we'll see what happens. I mean, the Nuggets do have a shot at this thing, and I, I agree with Zach a hundred percent. You know, our organization, um, very similar to the pre-Kevin Durant Warriors, was built organically from the ground right. up. Yeah. Um, and the Lakers are just, uh, you know, they're just they're they're not authentically put together. They're just a hodgepodge of players. But as Bill Simmons says, you root for laundry. And so the Lakers fans will root for this team of uh, two all-world guys and a bunch of knuckleheads, and we're going to root for our laundry. It's just we got better guys wearing our laundry. It's so true, and and we're going to talk about this team over the next two segments. But like, it, it has been evident that this team is made of the right stuff, and I the the Lakers just feel like a hodgepodge of guys that LeBron has assembled because he wants them there. And, and I'm looking forward to seeing how this blend of talent that the Nuggets have assembled organically, like you said, can match up with that group, regardless of the talent level, regardless of, of any of the other factors there. What is a team that's been built through the draft and together? What does that team do as opposed to a mercenary team like the Lakers that has been assembled over the course of maybe two years? It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to get right into that. We're going to talk about what makes this Nuggets team different. We'll be right back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
we're back. Denver Stiff Show. Ryan Blackburn here, joined today by two elite Nuggets historians, Zach Mikosh, Andrew Feinstein. Been very happy with these guys, and just just the support that I've I've had personally as site manager over this time has been uh, unwavering. Uh, Zach, Andrew, it, it's been it's been really really important, and especially during the year 2020, uh, it has really helped to have a rock solid foundation. Uh, helping me out with the site. So thank you very much. Uh, been been great, Andy. Hey, man, you're a, a, a wonderful uh, torch carrier. It's uh, And it's a, a lot of responsibility. I know what it's like to run a site. So, And I'm thrilled that you've got Zach on board still. I remember back in the day when we recruited Zach to join us. And uh, it's just awesome to see you guys carrying the torch. I don't know what else to say. And it's so much more fun to manage a site like this when the team not just wins, but is doing something that they've literally never done before and really no other NBA team has ever done before. And so what a special moment. Remember the last time the three of us got together, I believe we were already in lockout mode and we were talking about, uh, you know, the challenges with uh, racial inequality in our country and, and, and uh, the fact that there wasn't an NBA yet and just doom, doom, doom and gloom times. And uh, I'm just happy for you guys because you, you stuck with it. You kept, con- I don't know how you did it, but you kept content going on the website. Um, and uh, here you go. You get your, you get a reward. You get Le- LeBron and the Lakers for a conference <laughs> final. Good, good karma. Good karma. It's, it's been yeah. good. Zach, uh, what, what have you, what have you learned about this season? Not just from a Nuggets perspective, but from our group. Yeah. I, let's, I, in a lot of ways, I think our group, um, reflects reflects this nuggets team that we man like because people don't even know like there there's so much stuff that about this this year um in particular that like the, the hurdles and, and, and the, the 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 obstacles some of them just really dumb that got got thrown in our way some of them obviously stuff like you know obviously coronavirus and, and what's happened here in the, in the pandemic that's obviously not not dumb that's not what i'm talking about that's but also a huge unexpected like a hurdle how do you plan for that you know like um, it's, it's been, uh, as I've told you, Ryan, it's been there. If, if you can get through this season, uh, as the site manager, like it's, it's all gravy from here. This is, this <laughs> has been something like, like nothing else, but we, we've, man, we're still going like we're, we're, we're still, uh, we're still making it through strong. We're still employed, uh, by Vox media. That's, uh, you know, that's something I think people, uh, certainly know that a lot happened particularly out there in California. And we, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of the, the, when you're, when you're, in this sort of business relationship um, as independent contractors. And, and, and this isn't uh, just with Vox media. This is with all everybody. Media. Like it's, yeah, it's, you know, that like, Hey man, I could get, I could find out on Twitter. Like literally I could find out on Twitter tomorrow that I got fired, like, or laid off. Like that's, um, that's something that that's kind of always been looming and, and particularly this season um, with AB five law out there in California and then and, and how the, the response was to that. So it's, um, yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a crazy crazy year, and, and, and I'm proud of our group. Um, I'm I'm very very proud to say that that we were able to uh, hire the very first African American writer uh, ever on on stiff staff. That's was uh, something that we. What's funny is you know when we like Andy said we were talking on a podcast um, about racial inequality in the country, and and something I think that Andy that you said that that really stuck with both of us was like you know as leaders in in the industry that we're working in, and as leaders for this site like. Um, it's up to us to go out and find those people. Uh, it was up to us to go out and find 
quality writers who are who are also minorities and and make it a point to to diversify our staff more and like right after after you said that you know we we, we said yeah we're gonna do that and then like and sure enough like we we ended up looking it wasn't like hard like to look at all like it was like here was quentin who was a fantastic writer who was already covering the nuggets who has a ton of experience covering basketball other basketball teams who has been in locker rooms before and it was like man like there it is and so that, that was i think a very proud moment for us to be able to to accomplish that and, and, and a goal that we'll continue to, to try and um, accomplish to, to make our staff even more diverse and have, uh, have all kinds of different voices. So it's, um, yeah, I'm, I've been extremely proud uh, of what we've been able to accomplish this year. When well, you lay I'm it proud out- of you guys. I think it's great to have you. We talked about that, right? It's not about bringing somebody on um, to improve the diversity of the staff by taking somebody out. It's about widening the tent. Remember, that's what we right. talked about. And I think anytime you have an opportunity to widen the tent and bring different voices into the conversation, um, uh, especially, you know, in the African-American community, when you're covering a sport that's 80% African-American. So uh, I, I think it's terrific that you guys did that. And Zach, I got to give you a hat, a hat tip credit. You're doing something that I used to do in the old days. I would dig up old photos of uh, Nuggets versus their opponents when I would do my game previews. I would just find random stuff. And I noticed you brought that back. So I appreciate you carrying on the tradition of finding uh, random ass photos of the Nuggets versus their <laughs> opponents from like 15 years earlier. So yeah, that's, it was, I love uh, that you're doing that. It was tough in the Clippers series because there was only one, there's only been one time uh, we ever played the Clippers in the playoffs. So we had just, just kind of had to keep recycling those ones. But yeah, yeah, exactly. I took that page right out of your book. It was, uh, it's something that I, that I have a lot of fun with. So yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. So much about what this year has been for me is trying to bridge the old while also forging a new path and, and making sure that so many of the principles that we've established over the course of the eight, nine years that, that this site has been running and running strong has, has, isn't forgotten and isn't, isn't like, like we don't miss those really big points that got us to where we are. But in the, in the changing climate of, of this media, of, this, of 2020 especially, that so many hurdles are thrown your way and so many, so many different things that you didn't really expect to be a problem just suddenly now became a problem or, so, or suddenly became something that you really have to think about. Uh, so much of that has really helped shape my job and shape my, what, what, I've, what I've decided to do with this group. And, and I've really enjoyed the, the people that we've brought in. Brandon. Jenna, Quinton, as we spoke, uh, Nick and Jeremy have been great. Uh, Dan, Evan, like uh, Gage has been wonderful. Hey, I, I props to Gage for, for everything that he has done for the site as well. Uh, but we have so many new faces, but coupled with so many of the old faces that, that helped make the site what it is. And, and that has been really important to me. So, uh, again, like, I, I don't want to make this too sappy and we, we can get, get back to talking about Lakers nuggets, but it, it just really has been such a weird, interesting, but ultimately incredibly enjoyable experience to be the site manager over the course of the last year. Um, okay. Let's move on to this team. Uh, Andy, I, I wanted to get your 10,000 foot view of this team because I think a lot of things have changed over the course of the last month, in, in my opinion. We didn't know that this team had the capability to do what they've done and have the resolve to come back from down 3-1 twice, which I will never, as you said, I will never get tired of saying that statement. Um, 
Is this team different than other Nuggets rosters of the past? Yeah, so first things first, uh, you know, mea culpa. This is why I don't tweet much anymore. I, I'm not as bad as Mark Kisla, but uh, – and I love you, Mark Kisla. Mark Kisla and I are friends. Um, I was <laughs> not optimistic. I, I, I was not optimistic. When they were down 3-1 against Utah, I was, like, making plans, right, for the next few nights. Like, I, there's no way they were going to come back from that series. Right. And they did it. And then when they got their butts kicked in game one against the Clippers, who were my preseason – Pick. And Ryan, I know we talked about this because we did a show with Jeff Morton, didn't we? Before the oh, yeah. playoffs started. Oh, yeah. We and all picked Clippers. Stick- yep. And I said, I'm sticking with my preseason pick of the Clippers. I predicted Clippers Raptors finals, Kawhi versus the Raptors rematch. And, uh, and so after they got their butts kicked in game one, I said, there's no way. And then here we are. So, so I think I've got a little, Zach, I think I got a little too much nug life in me, a little too much cynicism, <laughs> maybe. Um, but I don't want to course over course correct and predict them to beat the Lakers because I don't see that happening, unfortunately. Um, but uh, how is this team different from other Nuggets teams? You know, we talked a little bit about some of these past series, you know, with the exception of that 2012 series where they took the Lakers to seven. You know, the Nuggets, let's be frank, the Nuggets have folded like deck chairs, yeah, you know, in many of these playoff series. And, you know, I hate to pick on George Carl. Um, but I just don't, for whatever reason, he was unable, even though he was admittedly an underdog, but he wasn't like a gross underdog, right? Like, like when the Nuggets lost to the Clippers in 06, yes, the Clippers were favored, but they weren't, up, like, I don't know, were they six games apart, five games apart during the course right. of an 82 game yeah. season? They weren't like that big of underdogs. They folded like deck chairs. Like that Clippers team beat them, I think, 4 um, 1. Yeah. You know, they lost to, uh, you know, when they lost to the Warriors in uh, 2013, they didn't even put up a fight in the last couple of games. You know, um, when they lost to the Lakers in 08, again, 4-0 sweep. Those two series, they lost to the Spurs. You know, I think one was in 05, one was in 07, 4-1 after winning the first game. Going into the playoffs this year, um, if you don't believe what I'm saying, here are the facts. Going into the playoffs this year, the Denver Nuggets led the entire NBA in NBA history, okay, of winning the first game of a playoff series, but then losing the series. Oh, <laughs> okay. So, so they had done it. I think eight. I think they had done it eight times or something like that before the playoffs started this year. So, so again, always folded like deck chairs. Never put up any fights. So, whatever reason, this team. Now, I don't know if it comes from. I, I'm going to give Michael Malone credit because he's a new friend and he's an awesome guy. So I don't know if it comes from Michael Malone's kind of like Irish grit that he learned from his dad, you know, and maybe sitting at his dad's side during those tough Hawks and Pistons teams in the eighties where his dad was an assistant coach. His dad was a bad boy's assistant coach. Um, You know, maybe it comes from there, you know, maybe it just comes from Jokic's kind of, uh, you know, he comes from a tough, tough part of the world um, that he's grinded through and he's gotten to this place in his life. And he just looks to the rest of these guys like, really, you think you had a tough look where I came from, you know? Um, I'm not sure where this comes from, but this team has a grit level that I don't think any Nuggets team has had that I can think of. I'm including the 09 Nuggets on this list. So, so that would be my initial take is this team just has a much, much, their, 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 their grit level is just much higher than their predecessors. Zach, what do you think here? Cause I, I, I tend to agree with Andy here that, that the grit level is something that really stands out about this team though that when the going gets tough instead of turning for the door they they turn and and face the opposition and fight back as hard as they can uh, is that kind of your take here too yeah and i mean i think we've seen that uh a lot 
this year. What's, what's interesting about this team is also that is what we've seen a lot this year is they've also been the type of team who, who has not taken um, some teams seriously. Right. And, and it has, uh, and I think you saw a little bit of that in the Utah series that yeah. they, they, you know, they tend to sometimes think uh, against lesser teams or teams they view as lesser teams that they can, they can just walk, walk over them. And then it's bit them a lot and it almost bit them because we were so close, man. We were so close to like a quintessential, nug life moment when you had the game you had game seven in hand you didn't even have to shoot the ball and Tori Craig this is a layup man yeah and like if if nug life was was it makes me give me hope that maybe it's it's finally passed but like it would have been just perfect nug life for that Mike Conway three to go down and them to lose that that playoff series that way like it would have been it would have been Rodney Rogers scoring nine points in nine seconds to watch Tom Chambers hit a hit a two you know, 10 seconds later to win the game, that, that kind of level of, of just absolute nug life. So there's, there, it's interesting that they've had that downside, but what we've also seen is, yeah, I mean, they, they beat the Utah jazz in Utah with seven players. Like they, they, I mean, they've, they have had an incredibly resilient team who when their backs are against the wall, they, they refuse to give up. They refuse to feel sorry for themselves and they refuse to do anything other than come out and execute. And that's, um, that's something that, that no, I've never seen at least, uh, any Nuggets team do before other than maybe the 94 team, right? That was the only other team that I can think of that had that kind of same, uh, resiliency. Cause they, you know, they obviously, they came back, um, from two games down in the five game series to beat, to beat the, the supersonics and then almost came back from three games down, uh, to beat the jazz that same year. So that's maybe the only other team, which is, the, it's funny. That's the team I probably compare this one to the most. But the difference there is this team has not imploded on themselves in, in a myriad of just really nug lifeish weird ways, right? Like that 94 team uh, looked great. And yeah, they lost to the Jazz in the semifinals, but they were they were young and talented. And then LaFonso Ellis gets hurt playing a pickup basketball game. And, and Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf gets embroiled in, in an anthem controversy. And Bernie Bickerstaff refuses to pay to Kimbe Mutombo. And it was like, poof, it was all gone. Um, whereas this team, like, and, and maybe that's one of the big differences too. This team has probably, uh, you know, Andy, you might be able to correct me because you know, some of the, the, the older teams and, and who was leading them, but in, in at least for, for my money, um, even considering Masai Ujiri in this conversation, like this team has the best, uh, head of their basketball operations that the franchise has ever had, in my opinion. And that, that makes, um, a huge difference as well to have a guy who understands the Denver market. Uh, and Tim Connolly understands that he's not going to go out and give or, or get a bunch of superstar free agents to just make this a championship team understands that he had the opportunity to trade guys for maybe short term um, solutions. Like he probably could have traded for Jimmy Butler. He probably could have traded for Paul George. He could have traded for a number of guys when they were willing to leave, you know, veteran star guys when they were getting ready to leave their teams um, but he knew that like, man, I don't, there's no guarantee. Like he got to see it right, right. When he first came here, what's the first thing that had, he had to do. He had to do a sign and trade for Andre Iguodala to the, to the Warriors. Cause he was losing that guy. Um, so he understood that like, I can't expect to build my team other than organically through the draft and making smart trades. You know, think about a guy like Will Barton who was on just, you know, riding on the bench in Portland and he got him for nothing. I mean, he got him for unloading Aaron Aflalo's bloated contract like that, that type of architect for this roster 
um, it somewhat existed, I think, with Masai. I think like Masai had a lot of the same same ideas, but Masai made mistakes, and and Tim certainly made some mistakes too. But like they've never hurt him the way that they hurt Messiah. They've never hurt him uh, the way that the, the mistakes that Mark Work and team made, right? Like trading for Allen Iverson. Like he he has been a, a phenomenal architect. Um, and then the other thing is 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 you know Michael Malone is he's he's still got a ways to go because Doug Moe did did had such a great run. Uh, but Michael Malone is well on his way to becoming the best Nuggets coach ever as well. And in a huge part about him, you know, that, that Andy was talking about like the culture, right? Like, and that was why they hired him. They had such a terrible culture with Brian Shaw and it was, the team was a joke. Um, and, and they brought in Malone because they knew this is a guy who can change the culture in our locker room and, and change the culture of this, of this franchise and, and that's where they started, like going back to Tim Connolly, like it wasn't it wasn't about getting the right players in terms of like who's the best, the most talented basketball players. It wasn't about, you know, who can who, what's the flashy deals that will put butts in the seats. It was about like first building block. We got to change the culture. And then from there, you know, right. we can build a roster around it. I um, so, so, so go Zach, ahead, Andy. Sorry to cut you off, Ryan. Uh, You're good. Um, you know, Zach's uh, lots of things for me to comment on. I am not going to comment on Masai Ujiri versus Tim Connolly because you're talking about two very good friends of mine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm not going to opine on that. I think to be they're they're just I'll just say they're two of the best executives in the NBA. We were absolutely. lucky to have one, and then we we're lucky to have the second one. So hundred um, percent. Shout out, but, to but, but Zach, you know, when I was thinking about when I was talking about you know Nuggets teams of your you know folding like deck chairs, I was probably thinking a little too much modern era, meaning like post two thousand. Uh, you're absolutely right. That ninety three ninety four team. Um, you know, down 0-2 to the Sonics, you know, first ever eight seed to defeat a one seed. You know, George Carl Sonics won 63 games. The Nuggets won 42 games. That's a 21-game gap. And the Nuggets were able to beat them and be the first team ever to pull that off. You know, there have been a few teams since that have done that. And then, yeah, they were down 3-0 versus the Utah Jazz uh, in uh, the second round. I think that the Nuggets were only one of three teams in NBA history to come back from a 3-0 deficit and at least tie a series. Um, and it reminded me a little bit, Zach, of last year's Nuggets team, right? I mean, they were down 2-1 to the Spurs. Yes, the Nuggets were favored, but they were down 2-1 to a veteran Spurs team with a, you know, a veteran coach, and they were able to win a Game 7, and then they lose the second round to Portland in a Game 7 in heartbreaking fashion. The difference between this Nuggets team and 93-94, as you very uh, appropriately stated, this Nuggets team got to do it again together. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why they've been so resilient this year. I think that 94-95 Nuggets team, had they stayed together, um, who knows where the – you know, the sky was a limit for that team. But as you said, Fonz went down with a knee injury. Mockwood has some silly controversies. And, uh, and then, of course, Bernie gets rid of Matumbo for nothing. So, um, you know, era over after just a season, really, almost just maybe two seasons, if you will. Um, and I, I just think that – uh another you know another great team of nuggets history that probably doesn't get enough credit you know we do talk about the stiffs era of the mid 80s those guys were actually pretty tough i mean you know bill Hanslick used to you know guard akeem olajuwon and kareem bill jabbar and ralph sampson um calvin that was a pretty tough dude you know a lot of those stiffs on the bench took on doug moe's personality which is you know i know i don't have a lot of talent but i'm going to work my ass off on the court and you know stiffs was a term of endearment for guys who had no natural ability but we're willing to mix it up and get pretty gritty out there on the court. So we have had some great teams over the years, but um, you know, this team, look, you are what your record says you are to quote Bill Parcells. 
And this team is the grittiest of them all. I don't see how we could ever dispute that. I mean, no team in NBA history has done what the Nuggets have just done over the past two weeks. So let's celebrate it. That's the difference. And uh, uh, we'll see what happens with the Lakers. I'm sure the Lakers uh, uh, are not going to take the Nuggets lightly. 100%. I want to touch on Michael Malone. I I opined on the last podcast that I did on Tuesday night following Game 7 that – I was too quick to judge Malone and I was too quick to underestimate what a team culture really means and why this particular team was so good and why they were able to come back from 3-1 twice. A lot of it has to do with him. And while Jamal Murray is extremely tough, while Nikola Jokic is extremely tough, they also have the confidence of their coach who has been trusting them and empowering them and continuing to put them in great positions to win. He outcoached Doc Rivers in this series. He outcoached Quinn Snyder in the previous series. I think that says a lot. He outcoached Greg Popovich in his first playoff series as a head coach. Like we tend to get caught up in the moments. I tend to get caught up in the moments about rotation decisions. Why is this guy playing? Why is this guy in this position? Why is this guy taking so many shots? But so much of what Michael Malone has done in his five years, along with Nikola Jokic, along with Jamal Murray, has been exceptional. He's had the backbone of the front office and the ownership group, and that that's something that has really changed over the course of Nuggets history, I would say. Uh, they've been able to stay patient and cultivate this culture. And that has really helped form the grit, I would say. Yeah, I would. I mean, I agree. Um, I agree. Absolutely. And I'm with you too, Ryan. Like I've, um, I, I, I judge, I was very harsh on Malone after game four uh, against the Clippers. And what's funny is now I can't even remember why, but it, there was, there was a, a decision he made that with, with a lineup uh, down the stretch of that game that was just like, man, this lineup. You know what it was? It was not playing Michael Porter Jr. the rookie more minutes. Right, right. Which and, and and you know, like when we all we all see the talent with Michael Porter Jr. But like, let's be honest, like he's he's had some moments uh, in the playoffs, but he hasn't been the same player that he was uh, in in the seeding games because you know now he's in the playoffs and everybody's the the intensity's ratcheted up, the defense is ratcheted up, and like he's 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 drinking from the 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 water hose right now and or the the fire hose in terms of uh getting that that playoff experience and so he you know there's there's a lot of justification to not play him uh as many minutes and agree and and and, and that's part of i think developing him as as a player you know like malone has is certainly stated that michael porter jr i mean he's called him a franchise cornerstone of this uh of this franchise so he certainly knows what he's got but he's he's teaching him with patience and also, you know, with some tough love that the kid probably needs. And like, that's when you, when you have got the, the, the fortitude to make those decisions, even when you're in a national spotlight and everybody is, is, is calling you out and saying you're making the wrong choice to stick with those decisions. Even when you're three down three games to one uh, in a playoff series, like, that that speaks a lot to 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 his resiliency and to his uh, his attitude towards um, the culture and everything. So like, yeah, I mean, shout out to coach. Like he he proved us all wrong. So he's um, he's he's good. He's going to be due for a big extension. Let me tell you that. 
I, I just said that to a friend of mine tonight, Zach, that he's due for a big extension. My, my one nitpick with Michael Malone, and, and look, again, you are what your record says you are. So who am I to say? And it's always easy from the cheap seats, right, to sure. question rotations and things. You don't know what's going on on the floor. You don't know what's going on in the, in the huddle. You know, co- you got you got at some point you have to trust your coaches to trust their players and their instincts of what's happening in the moment. My one nitpick on Malone, and this is why it's so important for the ownership and the executive branch and the coach to be on the same page, is by not playing Michael uh, Michael Porter Jr. more minutes in the regular season. Right. When yes, those games count, but they don't count as much. You're you're disabling your uh, the opportunity to develop trust with that young player. And so then you get to the playoffs, and because you weren't willing to trust him during the regular season to make some mistakes, or at least get a feel for what you guys can do together, uh, then you're even more hesitant to play him uh, in the playoffs. And I think that that happened here. And that almost cost the Nuggets that series versus Utah. And I'm not saying Michael Porter Jr., every time he touches the floor, he's the second coming of, of uh, you know, LaFonso Ellis here, or whoever we're, we're rooting for him to become, Alex English, whatever. But um, I do think that that's just a little bit of a nitpick that I hope that Michael Malone is a young coach with old school tendencies, maybe will, you know, apply to next season and just learn that sometimes you got to trust these guys. And if you know what, if you lose a Wednesday night game to the Sacramento Kings because you played your rookie a few extra minutes, so what? Right. But yeah. You just have to have the you have to have the backing of ownership and and Tim Connolly and his team. Uh, to be willing to do that. And I don't know what all those internal machinations are other than I suspect Tim Connolly and team did want Michael Porter Jr. and some of those other young guys to get more minutes during the regular season for this very reason. I'm with you. I I do think that he had a a moment of realization, especially after that game three where they got blown out for the second time in a row against Utah, where he he just had to let go. And and he did bench Michael Porter Jr. and he did bench Torrey Craig and guys like that. But he still kept them in the rotation. He kept them playing. He he's actually I, one of, one of the fascinating stats of this playoffs is that Michael Porter, along with Tyler Hero of the Miami Heat, those two rookies have played the most of any rookies in the bubble, and that's that says a lot about two teams that are in the conference finals right now, and have great cultures established and have great great teams with with leaders and and elite players that still trust the young guys that still have been able to work those guys in and and the process with Porter has been slow. Michael Malone has, has had to navigate a really difficult path with him, though, and, and I, I overstate or I understated how difficult it was at previous moments. And so, if if he is at the point where giving him tough love and maybe taking him off the floor a couple of times, if he thinks that that is the best thing for his development, what what am I to say against that? After he's developed helped develop Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray into the duo that they are today. Right. And I mean, every, I mean, look at, look at so many of his guys. I mean, Gary Harris, another guy that, uh, that he's had to, he's developed and is now, you know, I mean, people were down on Gary for a long time and Malone's always stuck by him. And I mean, Gary Harris in a lot of ways also saved, saved these playoffs. Like, I don't know that they, they beat Utah without Gary Harris um, coming back in and, and playing some great defense. Like there's uh, Monty Morris, another guy, like a second round pick, right. That, um, was a, a two-way player uh, down in the G League, and he's developed him up into being a really, really solid uh, guy to have come off your bench and give Jamal Murray some spells. You know, I mean, he's 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 certainly there's been some times where where he hasn't been able to to figure it out with in terms of finding guys. I, I didn't think wouldn't even say developing guys, but just 
finding spots for them in the rotation. You know, Malik Beasley and Juancho Hernan Gomez, those were two guys who I think have a ton of talent and are probably going to be pretty good um, in the NBA, probably going down a similar path as Yusuf Nurkic did. But, like, he just he just couldn't find the opportunities for them uh, in, in that that sort of a numbers game. But he's he's a fantastic developer of, of young talent and um, – and, and, and again, it all ties, it all ties together, right? Like it ties together with, with Josh Kroenke being, like I said before, I mean, shout out to Josh Kroenke because he might be the best, the best uh, owner there is at hiring executives. Cause like he's, he's yeah. had two, two he's for two, baby. Hire two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he, he knocked them both out of the park with, by the way, two guys that nobody had ever really heard of. You know, I'm like, I remember when we hired Masai, uh, there was the, it was the GM from Phoenix that everybody wanted. I want to, I can't, I can't remember. Uh, they, yeah. So the, yeah, they wanted David Griffin and right, yeah. David Griffin wanted a big number, um, yeah, which of course and, they and really Josh weren't willing to pay it. And, yeah. uh, Masai, uh, and this is public. So this isn't, I'm not letting out any secrets here. I think they offered Masai $300,000 to be the vice president of the Denver Nuggets, <laughs> lowest paid general Crazy. manager in the league, basically. And Masai said, I want an extra 50,000 for my, uh, for my uh, foundation, which does the basketball, the Africa uh, Giants of Africa basketball camps, which I've been very blessed and fortunate to participate in for a long time now. Um, and the Nuggets said no. And Masai said, okay, I'm not taking the job. And then they called back like a half hour later. It was on his Masai's Real Sports special, if you guys saw that. And yeah. they, they capitulated and gave him the extra 50 grand. So, um, wow. uh, but you know, give Josh Kroenke, give Stan Kroenke credit. Uh, and I give Josh a lot of credit, you know, because I think he hires guys that he would, he wants to hang out with too. And I don't mean that you should hire your friends. What I mean by that is he hires young, dynamic, creative guys who look at the world a little bit differently. And I think that's where Masai and Tim, um, you know, they both fall. I would say they both kind of fall under that category in the sense that they're kind of mold, they're mold breakers a little bit, you know? Um, and if you, I mean, look what Masai did in Toronto. I mean, he's got the right. ring to prove it. And you look at what Tim's doing here. He's got a Western Conference Finals appearance to prove it. So, um, yeah, I, I'm with you, Zach, there. I give the Cronkies a lot of credit, you know, uh, for, uh, for not overpaying, I guess, for guys like Daryl Morey, David Griffin, you know, um, who I think are all those guys are totally overrated. Yeah. Yeah, no, and and they, um, man, I remember, I remember when Tim Connolly got hired, they were on 104.3 The Fan. They were, they were making fun of Josh. They they were they did a whole bit uh, there on the drive with with Mac and Big Al. They did a whole bit about like these are two frat guys like getting back together. Like, hey, you want to run a basketball team, bro? Like, and it's just so funny to look back on now because it's like, man, they knocked that out of the park. They got exactly the right guy in Tim Connolly, who you know, again, I was I was listening to his his pod uh, with Adrian Wojnarowski just before we came on here, and like Tim's the first guy to admit he's like, yeah, man, I totally screwed up that first year. Like, that was that was not. Not at all the the way to go. And he and he even said on there, Andy, he said like, you know, Josh gave him an extension, and he said he certainly wasn't merit based. And he was like, I think Josh gave you that extension because he liked me, because he liked working with me, and like, and that's why you know why he he got to keep going. Um, and now it's you know now it's like, gosh, the guys uh the guys uh looked on as as one of the best GMs or, or not even GM. I mean, he's president of basketball operations in the entire league. And, and also a guy who's, you know, that, that showing that faith in him paid off, right? Because Tim Connolly, I guarantee you got offered way more money than, than the nuggets were going to pay him to go, to go be the the president of operations over there with the, with the Washington wizards. But he stuck here because he said, you know, he said this again, he said this on the pod, like he wanted to work 
with people who he liked working with. He wanted to be part of a team that he knew was talented and that would was was a cohesive unit working together. And you know, and 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 they they've made some incredible draft picks. They've made some incredible. They hired an incredible coach that was exactly what this this franchise needed. Like all the way all the way from the top down to down to. Vlatko Chanchar, like the, the this team, this organization is just so uniquely, uh, uniquely built and so organically built that it's 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 really incredible. It's it's a it's one of the best times, if not the best time, to be a Nuggets fan for sure. By the way, Zach, uh, uh, Tim Connolly learned one lesson real fast, which is don't ever hire ex Lakers to be your head coach. Okay, <laughs> so whether it's Brian Shaw or Derek Fisher, Byron or Scott, Byron Scott, or Kurt Rambis, um, uh, Luke Walton, they're all disasters, okay? You can Magic Johnson himself. You cannot hire – I know Pat Riley is a glaring, glaring, glaring Mount Rushmore standing exception, okay? But other than Pat Riley, they're all disasters. And that was the first mistake he made, never to be repeated. Good stuff, guys. This is, I mean, this is a great conversation about just – why this Nuggets team has evolved into what they've evolved into. Uh, I want to make one other quick comment, Ryan, uh, before we wrap up about sure. real credit to Tim Connolly and to uh, Coach Malone. And this is very similar, in my opinion, to the old, old days of Pete Babcock and Doug Moe. Uh, they don't take themselves too seriously, you know? Right. Um, and I think that that helps a lot. I think that's a good fit for this market. You know, Denver's a bit of an unserious market. I mean, we have a rainbow for a logo, you know, at the end of the day, which means yeah. nothing to basketball. So, um, you know, we, we've always been a little bit of an unserious uh, market, and I think they're a great fit for that. And, you know, uh, Michael Malone, like you guys just said, you know, he loosened up after what was game three of the Utah series. And yep. his post-game press conferences are great. He doesn't take himself seriously. He's self-deprecating, just like Jokic himself is, right? And that works here. That works really well in this market. So uh, I agree with you, Zach. They get the market. They're a great fit here. Love it, guys. This has been this is awesome. Um, I want to take a quick break. We'll, we'll probably spend a little bit less time on on game one and and this this particular matchup in general. But let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna start talking about the series real quick. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we're back. Denver Stiff Show. Ryan Blackburn here, joined today by Andrew Feinstein, Zach Mikosh, of course. Uh, guys, the Nuggets, uh, they, they have a game tonight. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday night. This will drop on Friday. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I don't really know what to expect. The first thing I kind of want to start with is just the individual matchups that you guys are interested in most. We've got LeBron and J LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray. Uh, Andy, what stands out to you first about, about those four players going up against each other? Yeah, I'm trying to look it up. So I went to the Lakers game 
uh, at Pepsi Center this year. And I'm trying to remember when that game was. Um, I, yeah, I think I just found it. Ago. It was, it was, yeah, I know it feels like ages ago. And I just remember, you know, Anthony Davis um, really had a field day with Jokic. Um, it didn't really show in the box score, but for some reason, uh, Anthony Davis gave Jokic a lot of problems. Uh, I'm just looking at the box score here. Jokic was four of 12 shooting um, and uh, he was in foul trouble. Uh, not a good plus minus. He did have a lot of assists that night. Now, yeah, you can't extrapolate too much from one game, but I am a little worried about that matchup. I just think Anthony Davis presents challenges for Jokic that the lumbering Zubac or Gobert do not. Um, so a little worried about that. You know, LeBron, obviously, you know, very challenging to guard. I kind of have to defer to you guys on this. I'm, I'm not as in the loop as I used to be on breaking down how teams play, why teams play the way they do. I will tell you this, though, about the Lakers. Um, forgetting the Murray, Jokic, Davis, LeBron matchup specifically. The Nuggets are a dreadful, dreadful defensive team when it comes to defending the three-point shot. However, the Lakers are terrible at shooting threes. Uh, I've never seen Danny Green make a three-pointer in a Lakers uniform. I know technically he has, <laughs> but I've never actually seen it. Um, I don't think I've ever seen LeBron make one either, um, or Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and, and, and Rondo can't shoot either. So maybe, just maybe, the Lakers' inability to shoot, which is the Nuggets' worst, Nuggets' biggest weakness, of course, is defending the three. Maybe that has something to do with the Nuggets stealing a few games here. But again, I'll defer to you guys because you're the wonks when it comes to this type of stuff. Because I, I, I'm just I'm unable to follow it as closely as I used to. Okay. So just a quick, quick, funny note here. Um, do you guys know who who are the who shot the highest percentage? The two the two players who shot the highest percentage from three uh, for the Lakers this season. Uh, I'm gonna guess. Uh, are you I'm gonna, are you gonna tell me it's like Dwight Howard because he made two out of four or something? He's one. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, let's guess Danny Green for the other. No, it'd be Javale McGee. <laughs> Dude, I'm tell- Ryan, I'm telling you, I've never seen Danny Green make a three with a Lakers uniform on, ever. I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> he um, So Danny Green shot, shot league average for three this year, which is, yeah, which is way down for Danny Green because, I mean, he's a guy who's typically uh, above above 40% in terms of three-point shooting. The, the Lakers, I mean, obviously throwing out the, the guys who maybe only took two or three attempts all season, uh, they don't have a single 40% three-point shooter on the team. So that's – um, other than Jared Dudley, who doesn't play. So, like, there's there's certainly – I mean, and I think it's a good point, Andy, to make is uh, the inability to hit threes. I mean, that's what really hurt the Nuggets against Utah was everybody could hit threes there. Um, and when you think about some of the games that they lost in the Clippers, right, it was because Pat Beverly um, and, and Marcus Morris are knocking down threes. Paul George was, they, for some reason, consistently getting left open uh, at the three-point line. Like, that's, that's a part of, of – of the Lakers matchup that I didn't really think about, but that's, that's a very good one. Like that's, that works in the Nuggets favor. The thing that I, I worry about Ryan, when I, when I hear about the, you know, the matchups and, and the stars is a lot of what Andy said too. I mean, Jokic, Jokic struggles. And, and I think it's even more than just Anthony Davis. He struggles. We saw this a lot with Utah pre pre them trading Derek favors. Jokic has a hard time going up against teams who have two athletic bigs on the floor. And in the, the Lakers, I expect, will keep a combination of Anthony Davis, JaVale McGee, and Dwight Howard on the floor pretty much for 48 minutes to the game. Like, there might be a few gaps in there where one of those, only one of those guys is out there. But for the most part, I expect them to have those guys out there playing. And that's something that, that Jokic is going to have to overcome. So I think 
it's going to be, I, I wrote this in the preview, it's going to be more of the Utah Jazz series Jokic than, than the LA Clippers series Jokic. Like you kind of almost have to look at him as your, as your second star. And, and your, your, obviously your, your, your thought will be, well, then, okay, the first star is going to be Jamal Murray. Um, the tough thing, though, that, that the Lakers have that the Utah Jazz did not is the Lakers have a bunch of really strong perimeter defenders, whether it's just like the Clippers did, right? So you, you're worried you're going to get – you're worried you're going to get Utah Jazz, Jokic, and L.A. Clippers, Murray, and is that enough to overcome, uh, you know, one of the greatest players to ever play the game who always, at least at this point in his career, is you always have to expect is just going to be able to ratchet it to another level, which is still like two or three levels above anything else or anything anybody else can do in LeBron James. So for me, when I look at the matchups, where the Nuggets have to win this series is with their bench because the the Lakers bench is, is rough. Like it's not, as Andy was saying, it's a bunch of boneheads, right? So like that's where Denver can certainly, I think, make some hay. Uh, it's hard to get a bunch out of your bench in a playoff series, particularly in Western Conference Finals, when you know rotations are going to be tight. But that's that's where they're going to have to they're going to have to make up ground. It can't be like the Clippers series where when Jokic and Murray were off the court, they were just the, the Nuggets were completely lost. Like they're going to have to find who's going to be the role players to step up because otherwise, I, I, it's hard for me to see them uh, winning this thing. You know, what, one other advantage the Nuggets may have that I don't think anyone's talked about, at least not that I've seen, is the Lakers, the Lakers are old. You know? Yes, that's um, true. Le- LeBron, you know, that's part of why they, 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 they took care of, uh, I think, the Clippers, too. I mean, LeBron's old. I mean, he, you know, by NBA standards, I know he's got this fountain of youth that he seems to tap into, but he is 35 years old. This is his 17th season or something like that. I mean, Dwight Howard's 34. Danny Green's 32. Rajon Rondo's 33. JaVale McGee's 32. You know, these are not – young kids anymore and uh you know so the nuggets youth which i do think served them really well against the clippers um can come into play here against this team because i you know part of being a knucklehead is you don't condition very well so while i think that anthony davis and lebron james are in phenomenal condition and they're phenomenal players i would really question the stamina of the remaining parts of that roster one of the things that really stands out about the Lakers is it, it is LeBron James, it is Anthony Davis, and that it is a collection of everybody else. Uh, nobody else on that team in the playoffs is averaging over 27 minutes a night. Uh, that's Cantavius Caldwell-Pope. Danny Green's at 26. Rondo's 26. Kuzma's at 24. Alex Caruso's at 24. Uh, Markeith Morris is at 19 per game. So, it really is a collection of role players beyond the two superstars. And I tend to agree with Zach that if they can maximize their time when either LeBron James or Anthony Davis is sitting, and they will both have to, they both can't just play 48 minutes a night. There, there could be an opportunity there for the Nuggets to thrive. Um, each of those guys individually presents a major matchup issue though. And uh, although I think Jeremy Grant did a really good job against Kawhi Leonard in this previous series. He's not LeBron James and LeBron James is just like, he, he knows how to work the playoffs well. And that team is really geared around his strength, his strengths really well, other than not having as much three point shooting as it probably needs. So they've shot well in the postseason as a team. Uh, so I would be a little bit concerned if I were the Nuggets about just completely selling out on LeBron and AD. But they're probably going to have to bait those role players to beat you. Uh, and and if, if 
let's say Kyle Kuzma is the one who scores 25 and averages 20 points, then you probably just have to live with that at this point. You know, this Lakers team does not have what I would consider championship caliber role players. You know, if you look at the championship NBA teams over the last several years, you look at Marcus Sol uh, and uh, Pascal Siakam, you know, they were basically role players on last year's, you know, Raptors team that won it all. Yeah. The Warriors certainly with Iguodala and Sean Livingston, just unbelievably talented, solid role players. You know, you go back to the Celtics of uh, the latter part of the OOs, you know, when, uh, you know, um, uh, James Posey and, and, and Leon Poe and, and even Rondo to some extent, just unbelievable role players. Like, I don't see those types of, you know, championship caliber role players on this Lakers team. But again, um, LeBron and AD are unbelievable guys. And, uh, and, you know, and I think LeBron's playing for Kobe too, which we cannot diminish. And, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist with the refs. I think, you know, the game seven of the Clippers series, everyone said, you know, Nuggets aren't going to get any calls here. You know, the refs didn't get in the way. The Nuggets took care of business. But I do think if the games are super close, there's no way the Nuggets are getting favorable calls. And that's something that we're going to have to be aware of too. Yeah, it's something you kind of always have to live with the Lakers, right? Like you, you just know you're probably not going to get a favorable whistle uh, very often. One one point I wanted to make real quick, Ryan, about about Jeremy Grant and and the matchup. Um, he did he did a phenomenal job against Kawhi Leonard, probably as good of a job as you could have hoped. And I think I think the Nuggets, in a lot of ways, that's one of the reasons they brought him onto this team was so that they could throw him at guys like that. But here's a huge uh, a huge difference that you got to know. So. Jeremy Grant is listed at 210 pounds, Kawhi Leonard 225. LeBron's 250. Like there's there's going to be a strength um, factor there that he's going to that Jeremy Grant is going to have to overcome, and and it's it's going to be tough because LeBron James is a fantastic post player just as, as much as he is a, a perimeter player. So there that that matchup, while I, while I feel much better than I would have say last year uh, if the Nuggets had had uh, had this matchup where they were getting you know last year they were getting killed by Rodney Hood in the playoffs. Uh, there's still some definite concern there about how can you do you have the guys to defend a perimeter player of the size and caliber of a LeBron James? Yeah, Torrey Craig's another that guy that they could probably throw at him. Paul Millsap is a guy that is like sized, but probably just isn't going to keep so, up on the perimeter. Uh, that's that's going to be an issue for sure. Uh, anytime Nikola Jokic gets switched out onto LeBron, he's going to either stop and pop for a three, which I'm sure. Jokic would be very happy with, or he's going to drive right at Jokic and probably try to get him into foul trouble. So there are a lot of potential issues with the Nuggets in terms of guarding this team, which says to me that they're probably going to be helping out each other a lot. And there's going to be some, not necessarily hard double teams, but at least a lot of showing and 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 making things difficult for LeBron to, to get all the way to the rim or, or just to back down Jeremy Grant. Uh, like we've seen with Jokic in these past couple of series, though, that when you double Jokic, when you double LeBron, it opens up everything else for every for the entire team. And and that could be a major issue for the Nuggets in this series. Uh, let's talk about Jamal Murray. Uh, he has really broken out as a star. And and I think it's it's unequivocal at this point that he is a star. Just you 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 can't score 40 points in a game seven against Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Patrick Beverly and the Clippers and that vaunted defense and not be called a star at this point. What do you, what do you guys see? Andy, I'll start with you. What do you guys see from uh, 
from Jamal Murray at this point? Can he continue what he has done, a masterful performance so far? Let's see why not, because especially with this, I don't know who guards him. You know, I, I can see Jokic having problems, as Zach said, you know, dealing with JaVale McGee as well as uh, AD and maybe throwing a little bit of Dwight Howard there just for just for uh, extra fun for Jokic. But I think, you know, I don't know who guards Murray out there. I, I don't see why he can't continue um, at the pace that he's continuing at with this specific playoffs. I don't, I don't know what you think, Zach, but, you know, I think he could be in that 30 points per game stratosphere against this team. And I think the Lakers have some decisions to make. You know, they may want to go with the strategy that they did with James Harden and the Rockets, right? Like, let him do whatever the hell he wants, but we're going to make the life miserable for the other four guys. I could see that happening. Yeah, I think um, that's certainly a, a strategy they could uh, they could go with. Uh, you know, I mean, I think the Lakers, like I said, they, they definitely have better perimeter defenders than the Jazz. So I think we, we uh, it would be, it would be, we would be, foolhardy to think that that Jamal is going to put up 50 42 50 on on this team but he doesn't, he shouldn't have to do that because like like we were saying before they, they they should be able to get a boost out of their bench you know I imagine he he's going to see a combo right of, of Danny Green Contavious Caldwell Pope and and Rajon Rondo and and all of those guys at, at points in their careers have have had very good reputations as you know perimeter defenders I think the guy Danny Green's probably the one that I think would give him the most trouble because he's got the length that the other guys don't necessarily have. And that, um, that's just something that's difficult to, to get over. But the thing about that Jamal that I think we've seen this playoff series specifically is like, he has really figured out with the ball in his hands, how to get off his shot. Like there were so many times uh, in, in previous seasons where it's like, man, Jamal takes some, and he'd hit a lot of them, but he takes some really hard shots. Like, cause he couldn't really get any separation. That step back that he's got now is just absolutely lethal. And then he's got that like that turnaround, the 180 fadeaway um, from like the free throw line that he's he's just money. Like I don't, I can't even think of a time he's missed it. So and 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 then he's still got the ability to just make some insanely difficult shots. You know, you think about the what was I mean, the game was probably over anyways. But I, I refer to it as the dagger three that he hits in game seven. Um, you know, over Kawhi, a good good three to four feet behind the three point line while he's moving to his right. Like that's that is such a difficult shot and he buries it. So like, there's, um, there's no doubt I'm with you, Ryan. There's no doubt in my mind that he is, he has taken the, the proverbial step to becoming a star player. Um, but if there's any doubt in anyone's mind left, if he can show up in this series, like, and, and play basically like he did against the Clippers, particularly the second half of that series. Yeah. There's, there's, there's going to be little, little to say uh, about him uh, and, and where he's at in t- terms of his star progression and the Nuggets are going to need it. Like they're they going to need a big series out of Jamal Murray. They cannot do it without it. Yeah. We're, we're at a, we're at a real point here with, with those two duos where it's a lot more even than it was previously. And, and that's, that's something that I never thought I would say it, going into a series like this, where you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and they're two of the top seven players, we'll call it in the world. LeBron may be the best player, and and I don't know if he's relinquished that title yet. Jokic is in that category, to be fair. I never thought that Murray would get up to that point this quickly. And and he has risen to the occasion, really proven himself, and like you said, hitting tough shots, creating easy looks, but also doing everything on the floor. His his defense has improved. His passing has improved. Becoming a true star in every sense of the word, uh, both on and off the floor. Andy, what what are some things that that you want to see from the Nuggets 
in terms of like you know i i'm i'm gonna i think i'll skip that one um who do you think will be the x factor for the nuggets in this series oh gosh uh is it too obvious to say michael porter jr um i i just think that uh you know he does give the nuggets that kind of wild card you know off the bench you know, offense injection that, uh, I, again, another guy the Lakers may have, may have trouble with. Um, so I, I'm going to throw that. I'm going to say Michael Porter Jr. I know it's a little bit of an obvious one, but I think he's an X factor. I think it's fair. Uh, he, the last time he saw this Lakers team was, was in the bubble and he went six of six from the field and scored 15 points in one half. Uh, can, I so say, can I take it back? Can I say bull bull? <laughs> that would be interesting. I had to love to see that. That would be great. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure he gets out there. But if he did, I mean, how many how many players on the Nuggets roster can can really match the the length and athleticism of an Anthony Davis like that? Bull Bull's one of them. Yeah, for sure. He's um he's not gonna play like. <laughs> I was just being a smart. I was just being a smartass. <laughs> I know it. I know it. If I was gonna say an X factor, I think though I think MPJ is a great uh, a great pick because you're right, Andy. I mean, outside of maybe LeBron James. There, there's nobody on on the Lakers who can defend that guy, um, and that's gonna that the, the question is as as we kind of talked about earlier with with the Nuggets taking their time integrating him, um, the question is will they will they find opportunities will they make it a priority to get him opportunities because he really can be if you get him out on the court with Jokic and Murray at the same time against this team okay well we got to throw you know we got to put Danny Green on Murray and we've got. Uh, Anthony Davis or Dwight Howard or JaVale McGee dealing with Jokic. Um, there's, there's not, unless you're going to, again, unless you're going to put LeBron James on him, like there's, there's not a ton uh, in the way that the, the Lakers should be able to do to stop him. So it's, and we're still waiting. We're waiting for that, that blow up game, right? Like he had a pretty, I think his highest scoring game is still game two against Utah, um, which was yeah. a blowout loss. So, like, he we, – we have yet to see the what we saw in the seeding games, which was this guy can just uh, – when he's on, like, I mean, he's he's absolutely unstoppable, and he can pile up. Like, like you were saying, uh, Ryan, I mean, 15 points and a half is, is not not unheard of for him at all. 15 points and a quarter is not unheard of at all for him. So, he can he can certainly be the X factor. I think the other guy is, is Jeremy Grant for sure because he's – I would – I would expect Jeremy Grant, if, if I was the coach, and, and, and I'm not, and there's a reason Michael Malone gets paid millions of dollars to do this, and I, I do not, but um, I, every single minute LeBron James is on the court, I'd have Jeremy Grant on the court, and, I would, that, and that's just what I would do. I, would, I don't think the Nuggets have anybody else. I mean, maybe Torrey Craig, but he, he's undersized um, in that matchup for sure, and, and let's just be honest, undersized and just out-talented uh, for sure. Not that Jeremy Grant um, isn't, but – I would I would put Jeremy Grant on LeBron James for every single minute of this series and and at least make him work, you know, at least put some length on him and some speed at the perimeter to make him have to work for his shots. And and right. if Jeremy Grant can do that, I think that that's going to go a long way into being the X factor. So it's not even like for me, it's not the X factor in 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 terms of him. It's not even like offense. Like whatever you get out of him on offense is is extra. But if he can if he can at least make LeBron James work. Uh, when when Jeremy Grant's on defense, then that that is a huge huge plus for the Nuggets. It's going to be fascinating to see. I think I have Jeremy Grant as well. Uh, Torrey Craig could be another one that if if he were to be able to match LeBron James's physicality, uh, then he might be able to stick on the floor and give give Grant an opportunity to defend Anthony Davis, who. 
the Nuggets are also going to have matchup issues with. And yeah, I think Grant have a great guy with sure. Uh, Grant is probably their their best option there too, because uh, I'm I'm not sure that Millsap is the guy who's going to be able to stick with Anthony Davis on a consistent basis. They may throw Jokic on Davis on, and and we'll just we'll just have to see how it goes. But I'm really looking forward to the series, guys. Uh, do you want to make a series prediction before we go, or do we want to leave that blank? I mean, I already have one in our predictions uh, in our predictions thread, so I'll come out and say it. I expect the Lakers to win the series. Unfortunately, I was I was right. I'm going to toot my own horn. I said Nuggets in seven against the Clippers. Uh, I said Nikola Jokic would be the MVP of that series. Um, this time, I, I think LeBron James will be your MVP of the series, and, and the Lakers will win in six. Yeah, I hate to say it. I, I agree with Zach. Um, I think it's a six-game series. I just think the Lakers and LeBron are preordained. Um, again, throwing the Kobe factor, throwing the whistle referee factor. Um, and uh, I just think the Lakers win it in six, but the Nuggets will put up a much better fight than uh, Nuggets teams have in the past against the Lakers. Uh, Sands that uh, you know, 2012 team. They're definitely going to put up more of a fight than the Blazers and the Rockets in the first and second round for the right. Lakers. Who they, they just trounced each of those teams in five games. Um, I'm going to go with the Nuggets, and I'm not sure why, because th- there are some major matchup issues that the Nuggets have in this series, but it is past time for me to just, just let go and, and let whatever happens happen with Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Michael Malone, and this group. Like they, they just continue to set the expectation out of the blow, blow the expectation out of the water. And, and I don't know when it's going to stop. I, I, the Nuggets just may, may never win a championship in their history. But if there's any team that was going to win a championship, the, the, on the other side of the bracket, the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat are both good teams, but they're not out of this world teams. They're not out of this world talented teams. The Nuggets are a good matchup for both of those teams. And if they could get through the Lakers, then I I feel very good about their chances going forward. I think that they're going to win in seven. That's, that's where I'm at with it. Well, Hey, look, I I love the pick. Uh, I think, I don't know how we top that for this show, but I love the pick. I love the confidence and I hope Zach and I are dead wrong and you're dead. Right. Yep. I'm with you. Me too. This is going to be a lot of fun. Guys, thank you so much for hopping on with me. We went long, and, and I appreciate you guys sticking with me on this. Uh, it has been great to talk to you, to, to just go through the history of this franchise and really explain why this group is so special and, and what has happened in the past, what they could potentially change. Uh, Andy, do you have anything you, you want to say before we go? No, I just want to reiterate what I said earlier. Um, you know, I, I'm just so proud proud of you guys. I'm so glad you got rewarded uh, with such an incredible season after such a tumultuous, you know, uh, summer and everything we're going through. Um, I would love to do this again, just an FYI, as you both know, we are expecting baby number two, um, uh, somewhere around game three, four. <laughs> so, uh, so I think it's going to be unlikely. I'll be able to catch up with you guys until after the season's over, but hopefully that's uh, well into uh, late September because they marched to the NBA finals. So I'm going to wish Stiff's, not just the Nuggets, good luck, but I'm going to wish you guys and Stiff's nation good luck because you all deserve it. And uh, just know that I'll be watching, uh, but I'll have a little, I'll have a new, uh, new, new, new Nuggets fan in my arms as I'm watching. Awesome, man. This it's, it really is incredible. Uh, good luck with, with the new child It is going to be, uh, I mean, you know this more than anybody as somebody who's a, has already had a daughter. Like, like this is going to be 
a, a crazy time for you given the given the circumstances as well. Uh, Zach, anything before we head out? Just just one thing. Um, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say I haven't watched the Nuggets game in the delivery room. So you'll be fine, Andy. No worries. <laughs> Hey, that's by the way, that's why God invented YouTube TV, which I can watch on my phone at any time. So, yeah. <laughs> Love it. That is going to do it here for the Denver Stiff Show. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. It has been wonderful being able to cover this team, uh, getting to talk to these guys, and getting to really just diversify what we do here at Denver Stiffs has been incredible stuff. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll talk to you guys tomorrow night.